morning, everybody. Are you glad that we have something called the Word of God? Come on. I, I, I'm so glad that we serve a God who gave us a book, 66 books, where authors, he uh, uh, anointed them. Uh, they're speaking the same things. Uh, there's congruency. There's not uh, um, uh, dis divisiveness in what he said, that we can read the word of God and we can grow spiritually and thank God that he'll meet us at the reading of the word. Amen. One more time. He'll meet us at the reading of the word. So we are a proponent to say, as Brittany said a moment ago, Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Hey, we're on a series of lessons called uh, Sunday School, and really it's an Old Testament journey. Uh, we're going to be discussing, as we have already two, we've got four more really big Old Testament Bible stories. I, I've been raised in church, as I said earlier, all my life. I've heard these stories all my life. But just because you've heard them doesn't mean that God can't keep talking to you about what you've already heard or read. And so we're going back over these stories, and, and these are stories that um, I contacted and really talked to Deb Batchman, who's been in children's ministry uh, since Noah got off the boat, uh, that we said like last week. Not quite that old. Sorry, Deb. <laughs> Deb's not that old. Just, I don't know. She's, she was transported. I don't know what happened. Anyway, uh, I, I said, hey, talk to me. You've been in ch children's ministry all your life. You, you know, tell me what, you know, what would be some of like, you know, six to eight of, of the big stories. And so I, I grabbed six of these and uh, that's what we've been doing. We've talked about Moses and the Red Sea. We talked last week about, about Noah and the flood. And uh, both of those instances are mentioned, not just at those particular accounts in, in like the book of Genesis, or excuse me, book of Exodus with, uh, uh, with uh, uh, Moses, and then Noah, of course, in the book of Genesis, but we find that they're talked about through the rest of the Bible. And, and so, as we've said in every week so far, is that when you read the account, the secular humanists will say, well, that's just make-believe. There's no way the Red Sea actually parted, yet we read account after account that other men believed exactly that account to be true. Uh, we, we even s said last week that we saw when Jesus himself believed, he believed that Noah was a real man, that the flood was a real flood, and that animals actually got, he believed the story. God, in flesh, Jesus, believed the story. If he believed the story, if he knew it to be true, I, I think it would behoove you and I to believe it to be true as well. Can I get an amen? amen. So today we're going to talk about another far-fetched story if you went to universities or college campuses, maybe even high school campuses these days. Uh, but we'll read a portion of the story, bits of this story. Uh, today we're going to talk about Jonah and the big fish. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, Jonah and the big fish. <laughs> and the lesson we're going to learn today is this, that God loves all kinds of people. God loves all kinds of people. Uh, uh, we could go in lots of different directions with Jonah, and, and maybe you've heard I, I've taught this, these four chapters at different times in, in years gone by, and we've drawn out different things from each of these chapters, but the overriding thought I want to drill down in your and my life today is that God loves all kinds of people. And so as Brittany said a moment ago, we've given all of us homework assignments. Here's your homework assignment this week. Are you ready for homework? Come on, we get homework all the time at school, at work. You've got to do extra credit and all kinds of things. Your homework assignment this week is Jonah. You need to read Jonah 1, 2, 3, and 4. Come on, Jonah 1 through 4. How many of y'all are going to take the pledge right now? Come on, any, come on. anybody in the back going to read it? Come on, any, come on. Anybody in the sound booth going to read it? All right, all right. Come on, we're all going to read Jonah 1, 2, 3, and 4. Can I tell you something? To, to, listen to me, honestly. You could go home tonight, do whatever you need to do, Put your head on the pillow tonight, and before you go to bed, pull out a Bible or pull out your iPhone that has, and you could read these four chapters right now. They're very short, uh, and, and, the, the, and the point isn't to speed read, but the point is to read and say, God, what are you saying to me in these scriptures today? And today, again, the overriding principle that we're going to drill down is that God loves all kinds of people. 
um, as I mentioned a moment ago, we said that Jesus believed in Noah and the flood. He talked about that himself in Matthew's gospel and that Jesus actually believed in this story as crazy as it might seem that, that a man actually got swallowed by a fish and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Not only in the belly, but evidently we believe to be alive and protected in that belly. And then we'll read the account a little bit. He actually got spit out from that fish onto the shore. It's a story that, you know, in Sunday school, you just sit there and you're just, you're just in Sunday school because you want the candy. Come on, somebody. You just, you just want candy. Uh, but, but the story is real. The story was about a real prophet named Jonah. And the, and the story, if we're not careful, it, it can become uh, fictitious. It, it, it can become a myth. It can become just like a legend in our own mind. Like, yeah, really, that really didn't happen, but I'm okay with the rest of the Bible. No, listen to me. Jesus himself said this in Matthew. He said, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, the Son of Man himself will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus says that we can look back at Jonah's life and my life will be like Jonah's life. As Jonah went away, as Jonah went down into the belly of a fish, the Son of Man will go down into the earth, but he won't stay down. He will be resurrected, and he will proclaim the life-giving message of salvation to the earth. Come on, somebody say amen. So we'll, we're going to just pick different verses because we're not going to read all four chapters this morning because you're going to be able to do that all week long. Just go back over it, read it, and go back over it, and you'll come to some things, and you, the Holy Spirit will talk to you and drill down and just say, hey, uh, you know, Maria, you camp right here for a minute because the Holy Spirit will talk to you about certain of these things that, that we might read or that you'll read in the Scripture as well. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, let's pick it up right there. Here's what God says to the prophet Jonah. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. Gave him specific directions. Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Uh, it's interesting that God gave Jonah an assignment. The, the assignment was direct. Wants him to go to Nineveh. Not go anywhere else here. Told him exactly where to go. So, so just by a side way, if you will, for all of us, is that God has a will for your life. God has an assignment for your life. God has direction for your life. And God expects you and I to listen for it, accept it, and then act on what he's asking us to do. What we know from the story we'll read in a moment is that Jonah didn't like what God said and will express, and I'll let you know why. But it's interesting that God sees and God hears about everything that goes on in the cities in which we live in. God knows everything that's going on in Chula Vista, La Mesa, South San Diego, San, wherever you live. God knows everything that's going on politically. God knows everything that's going on in the schools. God knows everything that's going on in the hearts of every single person. None, none of it uh, uh, surprises him. None of it is hid from him. It says here that God has seen that city and he tells Jonah, cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. And God's remedy for cities is God's going to send a person. God himself in this way, it's not like God just sends some angel down to reach a city. He doesn't do that. God sends a teenager. God sends a young adult. God sends a man or a woman at work, in the work environment, to places you frequent, to be used by him so that a city that is under and in wickedness or under darkness or away from God will hear the message of salvation. Listen, God loves cities. Nineveh, what we know is that Nineveh was on the eastern bank of the Tigris River. It's in the modern-day country of Iraq. 
it was about 800 miles from where Jonah was currently residing. And yet God had a heart to reach this wicked city. The Ninevites were wicked people. Listen, wicked people. They were part of this Assyrian group that they would come in and basically rape, pillage, and destroy everything that they came in contact with. There was constant aggression with the nation of Israel with the Assyrians. It, It was awful. And yet God says their cry, there's a cry that's come up. I see their wickedness and I'm going to send you, Jonah, to be a prophet and to speak my word to this city. Uh, historians tell us that the, the people, uh, the, the leaders, the king and the rulers of, of, of Nineveh, when any, uh, a prophet would come, they would actually fillet, skin the prophets alive and put them on poles outside the city to die. I mean, you know, basically die a slow death to, to, de- to deter anybody from trying to come into their city to bring any other kind of message other than what they're preaching. Is that we're dominant we're ruling, we're, we, we have no, uh, no need for God or anybody else. The way it has been is the way it will always be. And yet God says, I, I, I see what's going on. I, I want a change to come there or judgment to come there based on their response. They tell us that the city of Nineveh had walls that were 100 feet high, that you could race chariots three wide over the top of them. It was about a uh, eight, eight, they believed that the circumference of the city was about eight miles in circumference. Again, historians believe that there could have been upwards of 300,000 people in that city, a little bit less than the current population of Chula Vista. And God says it makes no difference how wicked they are. It makes no difference how bad they are. It makes no difference what's gone on in the history of them against Israel. I'm going to send you to them. Now, we know the story, and you're going to read it this week. Basically, I'll give you the first three chapters in in a summarized uh, response and report, because it's going to be very easy to read. Chapter one, you're going to find out that God tells Jonah to go. (laughs) Jonah says, I'm not going. And now we understand why he doesn't want to go, because he knows what goes on for anybody who goes there. This is going to be a death, maybe a slow death, maybe a painful death, but it's definitely going to be a death. I don't want to do that. And so the scripture says he went the opposite way. He didn't go that way to Nineveh. He went the opposite way. And the Bible says that he actually found a ship going down to a place called Tarshish. And he pays the fare, gets on this ship with these sailors, and they go out to the sea. And all of a sudden, God sends a storm on the sea. And while the storm is going on the sea, the sailors start crying out to their gods and saying, you know, oh God, help us, you know, oh God, deliver us, nothing happens. And they finally throw some lots. We talked about that several weeks ago during our message about being led by the Spirit of God. And they throw these lots and the lot came to Jonah and they said, bro, what's going on? And he says, well, I'm a prophet and I'm running from God and this storm's because of me. So they cry out to God all the more, nothing happens. And Jonah says, the only remedy for this is throw me overboard. How many know the brother's got a problem? (laughs) The, The remedy is repent, not throw overboard, right? Throw me overboard. And so they go, what are we going to do? They try to row. They can't get out of the storm. And finally they say, Okay, they throw him overboard, and then you're going to read, God prepared a great fish to swallow the brother. Swallowed him. Chapter 2, he spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, and he's praying a prayer. So, So we know that the brother is alive. He's not dead at this time. Some people believe he died and he was resurrected. I've kind of, I've gone back and forth with that. I don't know, but I know at this point, if the brother's praying, he's alive. And he cries out to God, and he asks God to forgive him. And, 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 and we find out that after he, after he prays to God, God just sent a word to that fish and said, I've heard the prayer. Come on, how many know that God can hear you? If God can hear a brother in the middle of a fish, he can hear you in your bathroom. Come on, somebody. Come on, everybody. Like, I don't know, I'm just not reaching God. Well, are you in the belly of a fish? No, well, then you're okay. Man. 
And, and he prayed and he cried out to God and God spoke to that fish and he spit Jonah out. And I, you know, I've said before, I don't know how the brother came out. He might've had a lobster on his ear, seaweed on his leg. Oh, come on, he was probably bleached by some of that acidic juice inside, inside that fish. But, but he came out and the scripture tells us that he preached. Chapter three tells us, and we'll read it in a moment, that he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to the city of Nineveh. We'll read it in a moment. And listen to me, everybody, everybody, 120,000 people that were there, everybody received God. Everybody. Everybody turned. Man. The Bible says when the word came and the king heard the word, that the king said, my God, here's what we're going to do. Everybody, we're going to fast and we're going to pray that God would have mercy on us. And so from the least, from the greatest to the least, man, woman, listen to me, even animals, they removed food and water even from the animals to drink. They put on sackcloth and ashes type of mourning. They put ashes on the animals. How, come on, imagine if the animals could think like, what is going on up in here? They're putting ashes on them. Like, we all mourning up in here. We're crying out to God. We're crying out to God. Now check out what happened on the heels of that. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Here's what it says. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said would, he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. God said, I'm going to do this, Jonah. I've seen the wickedness. I've heard the cry. The wickedness has come up before me. Jonah goes. Jonah preaches. We'll talk about it in a minute. Jonah shares just a very short word with them. All of a sudden, everybody from the greatest to the least, from man to beast, Come on, that sounds like a rhyme. <laughs> Did you feel it right there? From the greatest to the least, from the man to the beast. Y'all didn't even pick it up on it. You're just leaving out me hanging up here. You wait till I start breakdancing in a minute. Then we'll see if we got <laughs> freestyle. Oh, help me, Lord. Everybody from, from the greatest to the least, man and beast, they, all, they, all, they, they, they were all involved with this. Everybody, and God saw their works. A changed heart will always be seen. Will always be seen. And God turned, and that they turned from their way, God said, I'm, I'm not going I'm, I'm to destroy them. I, I'm not going to destroy them. Now, as we said a moment ago, is that Jonah and Jesus' life are, are, are paralleled, are, are paralleled, except from what we'll read in just the next couple of moments. Where it differs is the response that happens in Jonah's heart, and we know the response that happened in Christ's heart. We'll read what happened after Jonah is, is God tells Jonah, I, I'm not going to destroy them. I, I'm not going to destroy them. And then Jonah doesn't like that. We'll talk about that because it might get a little bit uncomfortable with you and me in the room today. So here's what Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says through 3. It tells us that God's response and then Jonah's response. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. He didn't like what God was thinking. So he complained to the Lord and he said, didn't I say before I left home? Now we get insight. Before Jonah left to go to Nineveh, why he went to Tarshish. Jonah isn't just some little prophet boy. He's got history with God. And he knows something about God. Listen to me. He knows, doggone it, he's always good. He always... If anybody turns, he's, he's going to change his mind. If, if anybody just shows an inkling, just a, just a crack in the door of repentance, God and his love and his power are going to rush in. And Jonah's saying, I 
don't like that. So he complains to the Lord. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? Didn't I say? That's why I ran to Tarshish. Pick it up, verse 3. I knew that you were merciful. I knew that you were a compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to get angry. I knew you were filled with unfailing love. I know you're eager to turn back from destroying people. Go back there real quick, guys. Listen, when you read this week, would you please get your yellow highlighter out in your Bible? And would you please underline this? And would you please get Jonah 4-2, New Living Translation, as a tattoo on your arm? (laughs) Maybe. And would you please, when you go through Walmart and you see that person, would you please go, oh, wait a minute. The Lord's merciful. The Lord's compassionate. The Lord's slow to get angry. The Lord's filled with unfailing love. The Lord is eager to turn back from destroying people. Hmm, Let's keep reading. He says this, Lord, (laughs) just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive. Check it out. If what I predicted will not happen. Hmm. If what I love and what I said and what I believe is no longer your what you believe and what you love, I'm just ready to check out. Man. Now what we see from Jonah's life as a type of Jesus that we see directly opposite in Jesus' life. Because Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we see that the scripture says God demonstrates his love towards us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're away from God. We have nothing to offer God. And Christ died for us. Jonah's response is, I would rather be dead than what I predicted wouldn't happen. And Jesus says, I'm the one that's going to give my life regardless of whatever response is from anybody else. If anybody will turn to me, they will be saved. Can somebody say amen? So again, we see that Jonah's got a problem. And listen to me. I would say that everybody in the room, including me, has or has had a problem with looking at different types of people just like Jonah and saying, I don't know how you could love them. I don't know how you could be merciful to them. I don't know how you could be compassionate to them. I don't know how you could forgive them. And we have made a case for ourselves as saying we are right and righteous before God when God says, my desire and my design is that you be compassionate, you be merciful, you be forgiving, you be slow to anger, you're filled with unfailing love. If that's your heart, then my prayer must be, that must be my heart. Can you say amen? Amen. The, The length to what God went to reach Jonah, to me, it is just staggering. He, he, he chases him down in a storm. He doesn't kill the guys on the ship, but positions Jonah to make a life change. He, 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 he sends a great fish, not to kill him, but to save him. And then in the middle of it all, he works with him. He works with him to show his and demonstrate his faithfulness and his love and his attention not only for Jonah, but his love for people who are wicked people. We found out they're wicked people. So, so what do you do with that? I mean, what do you do with that? The very last scripture in Jonah chapter 4, you'll read it this week. Jonah, in looking at the situation, God tells Jonah that... that my, my hand and my might is towards these people. And, and these people, of the Ninevites, they can't even discern their right hand from their left. And it's an idiom meaning, meaning this, that they can't even escape the effects of sin even if they tried. 
There's no way they can change by themselves. This evil, this wicked nature that's been in them, they're helpless to change themselves. And God says, that's why I sent you. That's why I want you here. Now, when we read scriptures in the New Testament, we can gloss over them. But like a scripture like this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have, come on somebody, everlasting life. They should come to repentance. He's not willing that any perish, but all should come to repentance. All should receive everlasting life. If God's not willing, if God's not willing to say, no, that person's done, that person, they can't turn. If he is not saying that, then we can't be people that say that as well. The bottom line is this, is that Jonah didn't love the people that God loved. And we found out who's God love? Everybody. Everybody. Always. For all times. He loves the world. If he loves the world, our heart, our response, our focus, our attention has to be change my heart to the people that you love. One more time. He says, Lord, the reason I didn't go, the reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh is because I know who you are. <laughs> I know who you are. You're kind, you're compassionate, you're loving, you're merciful, you're graceful, you're generous, you're, you're bountiful with everybody. I don't, I, and I don't want you to be bountiful, generous, loving, merciful, forgiving to the Ninevites. So the question, uncomfortable question, let me ask you and maybe phrase a couple of them this morning, is who don't you want to be saved? Right now in your mind, who could never be saved? Come on. Who could never be saved? What group of people? What person? The person that did that? The people don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, think like you. The people who don't worship like you, can they be saved? Can they be saved? You're required to love everybody that watches CNN, CNBC, and Fox News. Yes, you are. You're required to love and reach people that are Democrat and people that are Republican. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I know the nation's not saying that now. I know we live in cancel culture right now, but that's not the heart of God. Because listen to me, whoever you cancel, you can never reach. You can never reach. We're required to love and reach Dark-skinned people, light-skinned people, and all kind of other pigmented people. Scripture tells us that. So who in your mind right now, who in your mind, just could never be reached for God? God must, God, there is absolutely no way God's going to save them. There's no way God's going to save that group. There is absolutely no way that they could be restored because, God, you know what they're doing. Listen to me. We read story after story in the Old Testament. We, we, we read God sending Abraham. Uh, the angel, even Brittany read that story and part of it in, in Genesis chapter 18. When, when God tells, tells uh, uh, Abram, I, I'm going to come down. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember the story? And, and, and Abram's there going, hey, God, you know... Um, let me just ask you, if there's 50 righteous people there, will you destroy it for 50? God says, no, I won't destroy it for 50. Well, what about if there's 40, just 40 righteous people in the city? And Abraham knows, hey, my, my, my nephew Lot's there and his family and a couple of daughters. Surely they figured it out. They're married. Surely the, the, those you know, few people, those six people there, surely they're righteous. We just need a few more. He keeps going. God, what if there's 30 people? And God says, I won't destroy it for 30. What, what about 20? God says, I won't destroy it for 20. And finally, the last thing Abraham says to God is he's praying to God, having this interview intercessory prayer time with God, pleading with God. He says, God, if you find 10 people there, 
Will you not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, if there's 10 righteous people there, they're all good. Sad to say, there weren't 10 righteous people there. But we see the heart of God wanting a wicked city, the Ninevites, wanting a wicked community, Sodom and Gomorrah, safe. So, the uncomfortable question for you is, could God save those people in that part of town? Could God save those people that dress that way, believe that way, look that way, act that way, talk that way, watch that newscast and believe it? Could God save them? We said it a moment ago, John 3, 16, you know the scripture, but just the phrase that jumps out at us, of course, this morning is that for God so loved, come on, what? The world, the world. He so loved the world. Did he? Did he in your mind? Did he love the world? Do, do, do the people that, that you know, do, do the... Ukrainians believe that about Russian invasion? Do, do you believe that about other things that have happened against America or wherever your home country is from? God's heart and desire is that all people would be saved. Let's drill down just in the moments that we have together because I think it's important that I, I know that, you know, I've been over the course of years being in ministry, been to some different, you know, pastoral events, minister events, and and um, sometimes it is just so convoluted about what you've got to do and what you need to do with um, with your message or what you need to say, not only from the pulpit but just a regular person. That I think it just gets too weighty, it just gets too overbearing, and so when it comes to people reaching other people for Jesus, we're just not real good at it. But let's just look to see what this brother did. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, we got his message. We got the entirety of Jonah's message. Check it out. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah went into the city. Here he is, and he's going into Nineveh. He enters the city on the first day's walk, and then he cries out, and here's what he says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all the brother preaches. The brother closes his notebook, he closes his iPad, shuts it off, puts his iPhone back, back in his pocket or his Android, and he just says, that's the word God gave. Listen to me, can I tell you something? The brother ran, and he was in a fish for three days for eight words. That's not a good trade, everybody. But he preaches an eight-word sermon. An eight-word sermon caused the entire city to change. An entire city responded to an eight-word sermon. Listen to me. God's word opens men's hearts. One more time. God's word opens men's hearts. Come on, can you say that with me? God's word opens men's hearts. Don't ever discount what the word of God spoken through you can do to the people that are really listening. Again, there's got to be a willingness from the people we talk to. But I don't know when Jonah went to the city. Come on, think with me for a moment. When Jonah went to the city of Nineveh, we wouldn't say they were prime for revival. We wouldn't say that, that Jonah had a, a uh, like I know that there was a, an African evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke, his name is, he's since gone to heaven. But he would send, he would send a team of hundreds of people to a city in, in Africa. He believed from Cape Town to Cairo that Africa would be saved. And he spent, he spent decades going from, from city to city hosting crusades where hundreds of thousands of people would show up. But, but he just didn't roll up one day and say we're having a crusade the next day. People would show up two years ahead of time and start talking and passing out pamphlets and praying for people and ministering to people and working with churches. And then they would have this great crusade two years later. This is not what Jonah did. And this is not what you and I do many times. But we've got to believe that when we go to whoever God wants us to go to, God's preparing their hearts. Come on, somebody say amen right there.
But don't discount what God's word can do in the hearts of people. So again, listen, listen, listen. We, we know this, but I want to just, I, I just drill down again today is that we, to reach people, listen, to reach people, we have to proclaim the message. And the message is Jesus. The message isn't church. Church is part of that. But the message isn't church. Listen, the message is you need Jesus. Jesus will save you. Jesus will receive you. Jesus will renew you. Jesus will restore you. Jesus will give you direction. Come on. Thank God for heaven. But come on, we need Jesus up in here right now. Yeah, to reach people, we proclaim the message. And the message is Jesus. Years ago, there was a quote floating around. I don't know exactly who said it. Uh, you know, it's really irrelevant. But the quote was this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now don't say amen. Don't say amen. Listen to the quote. Preach the gospel at all time and if it's necessary, use words. Nobody gets saved by you being good. I, I know actions are part of the gospel and I know doing good deeds are good. But, but people don't get saved by doing good deeds. People's hearts might eventually open and you know, they find out that you're, you know, you're not weird and, and you really care for them. And I believe people don't know, you know, don't know how much you care until they know. Oh, what's that phrase? I can't think of the phrase now. I just lost it. People don't know. What, uh, anyway, <laughs> well, I'll find that for next week. <laughs> but the thought is, I just need to do good deeds, and my good deeds are going to show people how good God is. That's going to help, but listen to me. Nobody gets saved unless they hear the message. The message is Jesus. Eight words changed a city. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And people go, my God, that word given through that man, listen to me, that word that God's spoken to you, that you say to that friend at work, your family member, that person that God puts on your heart, that person that you're going to call this week, the word that he gives you is anointed to break chains and sin and shame and darkness off their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've said this before, is that found people find people. Found people, people that know Jesus. We, we, we look for people. We find people. We find people. What, 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 what kind of people? Who are we looking for? Well, we know everybody. But we see a story in Luke chapter 15 that Jesus talks at length about the, this parable. Three parables, all with the same message. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Remember the parable? Maybe read that this week, Luke 15. That'll help you out. The lost sheep, Jesus says, a man had a hundred sheep, and one went missing. One went missing. He leaves the 99, and what's he do? He, he goes in search, in search of that one. Now, let me just pump the brakes for a second and give us all a little bit of a reprieve from that. In my mind, lost and not wanting to be found are two different things. One more time. Lost and then just not wanting to be found. I'm not ready, I don't want it, are two different things. But Jesus said, you leave the 99. And what I love about the Bible is that the Bible is bad at math. Five loaves and two fish feed 5,000. Bad math, but it's God. Leave the 99 and go after the one. What? It's just called the cost of doing business. I know after a while, I need to put oil in the car. It's the cost of driving. I know after a while I need new tires. It's just the cost of driving. 
I know if I've got a hundred sheep, chances are some are going to die, not make it. One's going to get lost. Okay, I got 99. But that's not the way Jesus thinks. And so I've got to change the way I think. Every one is valuable. So the story says that even though this sheep is wandered, even though this sheep is now disconnected, you need to go after them. So, so listen to me, this week, this week, God's going to ask you to go after somebody. And I'm praying you'd listen and you'd reach out to them. Those that are lost need to be found. It's interesting what the scripture says. Again, read it slow this week. Maybe you do that, you Bible readers. Luke 15. He finds that sheep and he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders, the scripture says. Too weak to walk, too confused to go on. I'm going to bear your burden and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to bring you back home. Jesus says there was a woman who had 10 silver coins and all of a sudden she goes to get the silver coins most believe that it was a headdress type coinery if you will I don't know what that's called that they would wear they believe that it was in the culture of the day it was given to her as a bride from the groom her husband as a wedding present on the silver coins, they were engraved with a family crest or emblem that would identify her as now his family. It was one of a kind. Couldn't be copied. You, you couldn't go down to wherever now that we could just get it reprinted. N not there. It was one of a kind. So she's panicking. This is precious, this is valuable. This is something that my husband has given to me. This was on our, for our wedding. Irreplaceable, we would say. The coin was irreplaceable. And so for all of these, the sheep, the coin, and the son, an all-out search was required. I can't stop till I find the one sheep. I can't stop till I find the one coin. So the woman, you'll read it, she did two things. She lit a lamp and she swept the house. How are we going to reach people? Light the lamp of God in your life. Get on fire again with what fires up God. God loves the world. I gotta love the world. I gotta love these people around me that are crazy. I gotta love these people around me that talk foolishness. I gotta love these people around me that every time I try to reach them, they put out their hand and it's almost like you're trying to help them and a dog that's trying to bite you. But Lord, help me reach the people around me. She lit a lamp and she swept the house. She swept the house. I want my life to be swept so that I am not a deterrent to the message of how good God is. I don't want anybody to look at me to say, you know, I really haven't got a problem with Jesus, but I got a problem with Gary. Jesus says this, but Gary says this. Jesus is holy. Gary ain't holy. Swept the house. And then we see Jesus tells us the icing on the cake of the parable. He talks about the lost son. The lost son comes to his dad, and he just says, a younger son, give me my inheritance. I can go. I'm ready to go. Dad just gives him the money. Takes whatever amount of money it was for part of his inheritance. It goes out and spends it in riotous living, it says. Living it up. Come on. Just crazy drugs, hookers, pardon me, crazy lifestyle finds himself at the end of his rope what am I going to do now I got nowhere to go I, I, I'm, I'm going to go back home I'm going to beg my dad to let me be a son I, I don't want to be a son I'm going to beg my dad that I could just be a servant and he comes and you know the story you read it this week 
the Father sees them a long way off. God sees when anybody turns. And the dad was waiting. The dad was there. Even though the son was confused, had a wrong idea of God, the dad brings him back in, puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, robe on his back, and says, you're my son. So in all three accounts, I've already said it a couple different times, but whatever was missing required an all-out search. Whatever's missing, God's missing people. God was missing. He wanted the Ninevites to turn. He wanted the Ninevites to, to have a chance, an opportunity to repent. And what we find out is that whenever anything was missing, whenever it was missing, whenever that thing was found, that there was rejoicing. Can somebody say amen and amen and amen? New Testament, Peter says this in this one translation, the Message Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you're the chosen ones. You are, everybody in the room, online. You're the chosen ones. You're chosen by God. You're chosen for the high calling of priestly work. You're chosen to be God's holy people. That, that's that light. That's a, a life that's swept. You're, you're God's in, instruments to do his work. Do his work of what? Reaching people for Jesus. Speak out for him. Speak out for him. Tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. This is your testimony. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Just, just tell people what he's done for you. What do I say? I haven't been to Bible school. I, I don't even know the Bible. Just tell people how good God's been to you. And, and, and be like the brothers that follow Jesus as disciples. They just said, come Come with me. Come, come with me. Come hear a man that told me everything about me. Come here. Come here. Come to church. But let, let me tell you what he's done for me. Jonah ran from God's assignment. And all he had to do was just return his heart to God. Because if he returned his heart to God, he would have never ran. Could have been spared the, the chaos and the fish. Could have been spared all the angst inside his heart. And he knew God's heart was, God loves everybody. I know what he's going to do. And you're going to read in chapter 4. We didn't get there. But you're going to read chapter 4 in Jonah 4. And you're going to read the brother's response. Because he just says, again, we read the first part of the verse, just kill me. Just kill me. If what I said didn't come to pass, just kill me. If, if, people, if people don't think CNN is God, just kill me. If people, if you really think that God can save those people, just kill me. Just kill me. And God says, we got to work on your heart, man. So, 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 maybe, <laughs> I know we don't like to think about this. Maybe there's some storms in your life because your heart hasn't turned. Maybe God will wait you out until your heart's ready to turn back to him to say, you need an attitude adjustment. You need to love what I love. And my heart is for all the world. So let's be a church that reaches all kinds of people. Can you say amen? Can I get a better amen in the room today? Come on, can, come on, can you get a better amen? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, bow your head. So Lord, that's what we pray. The people in our lives right now that need to hear you, that are away from you, that don't know you. Lord God, we pray today that you would begin talking to us and stirring our hearts about people who far, are far away from you this morning. Our family members, our coworkers, some of the friends, the places that we frequent, that we, we have relationship now with people. Lord God, I'm asking you that you would stir our hearts and give us words that we could be agents that would speak your words of life to people that are far away from you. Again, as you put people on our heart, you're preparing their hearts. That Lord God, you would then strengthen us to go after that one sheep that's lost. That we'd be able to put them on our shoulders and carry them back to you.
that we would light a lamp and sweep the house and sweep our lives from uncleanliness, just ungodliness, things we need to leave alone. And we'd light our own lamp and fire up our lives again and stir up the gift of God that you're hungry and you want your house full. You're, you're, you're hungry for your house to be full. We read that. We know that. So you told us to go highways and byways, compel people to come in. Give us the words, as we've said. Give us the words. All over the room, while your head's bowed, your eyes closed, no one looking around, give everyone the right to privacy. You're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you're away from him. You just simply say, I'm ready to make a change today. I, I, I might be that Jonah. I, I'm the one that's running from God right now. I know what God said, but I've, I've been running. I've been running. Or maybe you say, I, I, I've been the one that's that one sheep. I was found, but I'm, I'm, I just left. But I want to come back today. All over the room. We're going to pray a prayer in just the next couple of moments. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand by a sign to say, that's me. Include me in that prayer. We're going to pray a prayer out loud. We're going to pray a prayer out loud. When we pray this prayer out loud, a spiritual transaction is going to happen. God's going to save you, renew you, restore you, revive you. So all over the room, if you want to be included in this prayer, when I count to three, come on, just raise your hand. Come on, one, two, three, all over the room. Say, that's me. Just raise your hand. Include me in this prayer. Awesome. See those two hands? Praise the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else want to look one more time? Anybody else? Great. You that raised your hand, you mean this in your heart. You say this out loud. We're all going to pray with you. But you just mix faith with it right now. Say this with me, dear Heavenly Father. I come to you right now in Jesus' name. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So I believe in my heart and I say with my mouth, God raised Jesus from the dead. Be my Lord. Be my Savior forever and ever. I repent, I change my mind, and I change my direction. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, everybody stand up. That's what we do. We stand and give you a big hand clap. Come on, let's just clap and say thank God. Come on, that's what he's doing. Come on, we rejoice. There's an all-out celebration as we found this morning.